Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Today, I want to continue a series of messages that we started a couple of weeks ago uh, out of Psalms 84, and we simply entitled this The Valley of Baca. Uh, It's the Valley of Weeping, right? And uh, last weekend, uh, Jeannie and I were gone. We were in Mount Pleasant at our church over there, and uh, Pastor Jake spoke, brought a great message on uh, sexual purity, And uh, if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to uh, get that, download that message. But today, let's start again in Psalms 84, in verse 4. It says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They'll still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools, and they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And today I want to talk to you again about that phrase, blessed is the man whose strength is in you. If we go back to the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth. In the Psalms, it says that he's put all of his works under our feet. He gives us dominion over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. When God created man, kind, he created this to have dominion. In fact, the first thing that God did was said, let them have dominion. So you were not created to be a doormat. You were created to rule. You were created to have dominion over the earth. In fact, if you go to the next chapter, In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to tend, to guard, and to keep. So man was to tend, guard, keep. He was to protect the garden. Now, you all know what happened. If you don't, I'm going to just tell you. Satan comes, and instead of using the dominion that God had given him, he did not use that dominion. He should have said to the devil, devil, stop. Get out of here right now. He had the dominion to do that. He was supposed to guard. He was supposed to keep. He was supposed to protect. But he didn't do it. Now, let me just say something here. The same thing is true in some of our lives. See, God has given you dominion over your life. God's given you dominion at your house, your family. But you can do the same thing that Adam did and do nothing. In fact, James chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Resist the devil, he'll flee from 
you. The last time the devil fled from you is the last time you resisted him. Now, what is true in so many Christians' lives is we act as if the devil does not even exist. And if you act like the devil does not exist, listen, he will eat your lunch and pop the bag. He is going to, he is going to just raise havoc with your life if you do not use the authority that God has given you. When Adam did not use that authority, Satan not only came into his family and his descendants, but he came into the earth. In fact, when God said, let them have dominion, what God really did was he gave man and woman a, a lease on the earth. Let, let us suppose that uh, you own a duplex and I rent half of that duplex. Although you're the owner, how many of you know you still need my permission to come into your house? And that is literally what happened to the earth. God gave man dominion. But what man did is he bowed his knee. He didn't use his dominion. He let the enemy come in and literally usurp his place and take his dominion. Originally, Adam was to be the God, small g, of this world, the ruler of this world. He had dominion. But what Satan did is he came in and he usurped that place. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, in verse 4, that Satan is the God, small g, of this world. Now, if you look in Isaiah chapter 14, in Ezekiel chapter 28, is what you'll find out. It talks about Satan. And he is, or I'll say it this way, he was, and still is really, a cherub angel. He was created an angel. But what he did is he came, he tempted Adam and Eve, they bowed their knee, and he came in and usurped their authority. The authority that Satan uses in the earth is the authority that God gave to Adam. So God created, I've had somebody say, why did God create the devil? Well, really, God didn't create the devil. God created an angel. We created the devil when we gave him our authority. Because the authority that Satan uses in the earth is the authority that God gave to Adam and to Eve, right? So that may have some of your brains going a little bit sideways, but that's all right, right? Now, in John chapter 5, verse 26, now, the Pharisees are always obsessed with Jesus and his authority. Where did, they, they actually said, where did you get this authority that you're doing these things? Now, verse 26, Jesus said, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. And he has given him, the son, authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. So Jesus has authority. Why? Because he is the son of man. Now, if you'll look in your New Testament, Jesus is referred to in two ways. The son of God, which speaks of his divinity. But he's also called the son. In fact, he calls himself the son of man, which speaks of his humanity. Right? Now, Philippians chapter two tells us that when Jesus came to earth, 
he divested himself of all of his authority, all of his ability as God. He emptied himself and he came as a man. Hebrews 2 verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children, that's you and me, have partaken of flesh and blood. How many of you know you have a flesh and blood body? All right. He himself, Jesus himself, shared in the same. Jesus came in a flesh and blood body just like yours, just like mine, that through death he might destroy him that has the power of death, that is the devil. So in order for Jesus to redeem you and me, he had to come in a body just like yours. And and let me just say this, the, the, the legal way to come into the earth Think about this. The legal way to come into the earth is to be born of a woman in a flesh and blood body. That's the legal way in. And by the way, Jesus said, whoever comes in some other way, he said, he's a thief and he's a robber. How many of you realize the devil did not come in legally? He came in illegally, but Jesus came in legally. And he came in a flesh and a blood body just like yours that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. So Jesus in a flesh and blood body, and he redeems you in a flesh and blood body. We can say it like this. You can only receive what Jesus did for you while you live in a flesh and blood body. So someday, how many of you realize your body will get old? Your body's going to die. I don't know if you know this, but with humanity, mortality is 100%. Everybody ultimately dies. But when you die, the real you steps out of your body. You can only receive what Jesus did for you while you live in a flesh and blood body. He redeemed you in a flesh and blood body, but you have to receive it while you're still alive. Because someday when your body dies, the real you is going to step out. So the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, it says where a tree falls, there it will lie. Whether to the north. Or to the south. It's not talking about trees. It's talking about people. See, when you die, instantly you're sealed for all of eternity. You're either right with God or you're not right with God because you can only receive what Jesus did for you while you live in a flesh and blood body. Now, notice the next verse, the 15th verse, says, He does not give aid to angels but he does to the seed of Abraham. He doesn't give aid or salvation to angels. Angels can't get saved. You say, why not? Because they don't have a flesh and blood body. You can only get saved in a flesh and blood body. Jesus came and redeemed you in a flesh and blood body. So when Jesus came, uh, we, we sometimes refer to this as the intertestamental period. It's kind of between the old and the new covenant. But everything Jesus did in his ministry, he did looking forward to what he was going to do at the cross. In other words, he forgave people's sins. But how many of you realize he was going to pay for our sins at the cross? Everything that he did, he did looking forward to what he was going to do. But he said this in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. He said, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. 
Now, when it says serpents and scorpions, it's not talking about an insect or a snake. It's talking about Satan and demons. It says, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm or hurt you. So you have been given by Jesus authority. When he arose from the dead, Matthew 28, verse 18, he says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go you therefore. So literally what Jesus does is he has the authority and he immediately gives it back to the church. He gives it to his followers. In Mark chapter 16, it says, these signs will follow them that believe in my name. And by the way, the list starts with, they will cast out demons. It ends with, they'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But why can that, why, why is that to happen? Because he's given us authority. And who's it for? These signs will follow them that believe. How many of you are believers, by the way? Right? So Jesus said, signs should follow you. What I've noticed through the years is most of the time, believers follow signs. They're looking for where there's a sign, and that's where they want to go. Where is something happening? Right? I'm going to go there. But the truth is, signs are supposed to follow every believer. In Ephesians 4.11, it says, He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to perfect the saints to do the work of the ministry. Right? Who's supposed to do the work of the ministry? The saints. Who's supposed to pray for the sick? The saints. Who's supposed to cast out devils? The saints. Who's supposed to share the gospel? The saints. Now, I know one, this literally, it is like one of the biggest problems in the church because we think, well, we'll just hire a pastor to do it. Right? But literally, my job is to equip you to pray for the sick, to cast out devils, to share the gospel, to resist the devil. That's my job, is to prepare you to do that. It's not my job to do it. It's your job to do it. And what we've done is we thought, well, we'll just hire a few professionals and they'll do it. And it's just a mess. It was never God's plan for the church to operate the way the church is operating. So Psalms 116, excuse me, 115, verse 16. The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. All right. So literally the heavens of the heavens, they're God's, but the earth is ours. Right? God has given mankind authority, but we have to use our authority. What Adam did was he turned his authority over to the devil. But what you and I do, if we do not use our authority, is we allow the enemy to come in and usurp our authority. 1 John 3, verse 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. He was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Now, where that happened is at the cross. So Colossians chapter 2 says this. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, having taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, if you and I had been in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified, Right outside the wall, that place called the place of the skull, Golgotha. We would have seen Jesus cross in the middle, thief on each side. 
And above Jesus' head, the Bible tells us that Pilate wrote in three languages, the king of the Jews. In other words, from Pilate's perspective, the reason Jesus was crucified was because he was rebelling against Caesar and he was proclaiming himself a king. That's why they crucified him. But if you could have looked into the spirit realm, you would have seen God's hand come down from heaven. And God had a parchment that he put on that cross. And the Bible says that God nailed it to the cross. And God said, this is why he's dying. And it says that it was the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. See, Moses went up on Mount Sinai. And the Bible tells us that God, with his finger, wrote on some tablets. He wrote some commands. How many know they aren't suggestions, they're commandments? He did not write the Ten Suggestions. He wrote the Ten Commandments, right? And requirements against us. How many, just out of curiosity, is there anybody here that's ever done one of the Ten Commandments that you shouldn't have done? All right. That was against, that's against you. You broke that commandment. But what God did is he wrote what you did down on a piece of paper, on a parchment, and he nailed it to Jesus' cross. And he said, the reason Jesus is dying is he is paying the price for the penalty of that violation. Jesus died to pay for your violation of the commandments and the requirements And the Bible says they were against us. And of course, we've talked about this. The Old Testament was given so that you'd know you needed a Savior. Nobody's ever been made right with God by obeying all the rules. See, the Bible says that the law was given that sin would abound. So that we would know we need a Savior and we cannot save ourselves. So God nailed it to the cross. It says, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The uh, plain English translation says this, the 14th verse. I love this. It says, he destroyed the record of the debts standing against us and its rules and regulations. He destroyed every list of sins that you or I have ever committed. It is gone. It is taken out of the way. He nailed it to the cross and put it out of sight, it says. Uh, The 15th verse, this is my favorite translation, the Dean's translation. It says, he set himself and us free from all the spirit power of evil. He set himself and us free. Now, when Adam sinned, the Bible says that you sinned because he was your representative. How many of you know you've got representatives in Washington that might be doing something you don't like? Right? Well, you had a representative in Eden. Adam and Eve represented you. And they did some things that we wish they had not done. Right? Then the Bible says what God did, 1 Corinthians 15, is God sent another Adam. The Bible calls him the last Adam. He's the Lord from heaven, the Bible says. It's Jesus. And just like the first Adam represented you in sin, The last Adam took you to the cross 
and he paid for every one of your sins. In God's eye, just like when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't sin alone. All of humanity sinned with them. In God's eye, when Jesus went to the cross, Jesus didn't go to the cross alone. That's why Paul said, my old man was crucified with Christ. Because God in Christ took you to the cross. It wasn't Jesus alone that went to the cross. You went with him. The Bible says that we were crucified with him. We were buried with him. We were raised with him. And we were seated together in heavenly places in him. So in God's eyes, what, God, what happened at that cross didn't just happen to Jesus. It happened to you. So your sins paid for. But more than that, more than that, he himself, he set himself and us free from the spirit powers of evil. He defeated the devil. Haman translation says, by the means also of his death, he has divested the evil spirits of their power and threw them out of their temple. Ooh, I like that. Wamus and the hostile princes and rulers, he shook off from himself. What did he do? He shook them off. They attacked him. I remember the, uh, the Apostles' Creed. How many of you ever quoted that Apostles' Creed? Loud? Okay. How many remember he descended into, where did he descend to? He died and he descended into hell. And every demon, every foul spirit, every principality of evil thought they had him. They attacked him, but he shook them off. Now, let me tell you what that means to you and to me. That you might have depression in your life. You might have an addiction in your life. But you know, just like Jesus shook off principality and power, you can shake it off. Because the Bible says that he obtained an eternal redemption for us, setting us free once and for all. You can shake it off. Because when Jesus went to the cross and when he descended into hell, in God's eyes, you went with him and he shook it off. Conibear said he disarmed the principalities and the powers which were against him. Barclay says, and on the cross, he stripped the demonic powers and their, author and their authorities of their power. He stripped them of their power. He made a public spectacle of them as if they had been captives in a victor's triumphal procession. You know, King James says that he triumphed over them. If you were a, a first century Roman, when you heard that word triumph, there was a picture that came into your mind. If a Roman general obtained a victory, a certain type of victory, he had to have killed over 5,000 of the enemy. The, the, leading, the, the leading general or king had to have been captured or killed. Right? There had to be no possibility that the enemy could regroup and come back and, and put up opposition. When there were several criteria met, they called it a triumph. And they would bring that Roman general back. And they would bring his army back. And they would bring captives back. 
right? And they would literally do a procession, a parade down downtown Rome called a triumph. That general was standing in, in a chariot led by a white horse. He had a wreath on and everybody was screaming and they were bowing and then came the army. And, and, and by the way, that's where you are. You're part of his family, all right? How many of you ever had a class picture taken? All right. I'm going to ask you something. When you look at the picture, who's the first person you look for? I mean, everybody else can have a frown, but if you're smiling, great picture. Right here in this verse, you're, you're there. Because Jesus held a procession in downtown eternity. He came through general, but then his family, that's you. His family comes through. You're there, right? Then the army, then the conquered foes come through, stripped naked. You remember Cleopatra? When they lost their battle and they were going to take Cleopatra back to Rome to parade her in the triumphal procession, she committed suicide. Instead of being stripped naked and walked through the streets of, of, of Rome, she committed suicide, right? But what Jesus did to the devil, he made a public spectacle of them as if they had been captives in a victor's triumphal procession. Jesus defeated the devil, but he didn't defeat the devil for himself. He defeated the devil for you and for me. And in God's eyes, it wasn't Jesus alone on the cross who descended into hell, who defeated the devil. He did it for you and for me. The Bible says God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He was in Christ, but he wasn't working on Christ. He's working on you and he's working on me. He's getting us in that position. So God and man are working together to push back the powers of darkness. God's power but he gives man the authority to use that power. So we need to enforce what Jesus has done. Even in the Old Testament, prophetically, Isaiah 54, verse 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. So when something rises up against you, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to take your authority and condemn it. The devil shows up. You say, no, you don't, devil. Not in my house, not to my family, not to my body. You are not going to do it. You have to go in Jesus' name. You need to rise up and condemn it. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Unfortunately, so often we live like the devil does not exist. And we let him come in, eat our lunch, pop the bag. And we're going, well, that's just the way life is. Nothing good ever works out for me. Well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. Resist him, verse 9, steadfast in the faith. And of course, James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And once again, the last time the devil fled is the last time you resisted. So think about your life. How often 
Are you resisting the enemy, submitting to God and resisting the enemy? Let me just close with this. Well, this would be my first closing. How about that? Mark 1, verse 27. Then they were all amazed. They're listening to Jesus preach. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, he commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. If you look in your Bible, all through the Old Testament, no one, no one, not one time, do you find somebody resisting the devil. But when Jesus came, he changed all that. He changed that. And they looked at what Jesus did, and they said, what new doctrine is this? We have never seen anything like it. Now, let me just say this, right? What Jesus did is what you and I are supposed to do. Jesus said, and I mean, if it's Jesus, we should believe it. The works that I do, will you do also? And even greater works, because I go to the Father. We sometimes look at, at what Jesus did and we think, well, that's Jesus. That's God. But Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus divested himself of all authority and power that he had. He emptied himself. And he came as a man, as a human being. Jesus said about himself, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own community and among his own relatives. Right? Jesus did what he did, not as the son of God, but he did it as the son of man. As the son of man. If Jesus did what he did because he was God, how many of you know there's no way you and I could do any of it? But Jesus said, the things I do, will you do also? Jesus said, these signs will follow them that believe. How many of you are believers? Right? They'll cast out devils. They'll lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. Somebody says, oh, devils, what are we going to do? No big deal. Just go, I bind you in Jesus' name. Come out. The end. It's just that simple. It's not hard. You say, yeah, yeah, but, 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 but it's me. Hey, uh, in a few minutes, the service will be over. Jeannie and I will go out to my truck there, my pickup. I'll take the key. I'll get up there, hit the button. Doors open. Get inside. Push the little button. Car starts. We'll take off. If I give it to my 10-year-old grandson, Jono, you know what? He can go out there, push the button. Car's going to open up. Hit the next button. Car's going to start. And God help us all when he starts driving. <laughs> But how many of you know it's not my age that makes the car work or the keys work? It's the keys. Whether you're 10 or 110, the keys will open the doors. The keys will make it work. All right? You see, you've been given the key. The Bible says, 1 John 3, 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus has given us his name. He said, if you believe in his name, he said, you'll cast out devils. And it's not because you're hot stuff or I'm hot stuff. It's because the name is hot stuff. And we've been given the name. We've been given the name. 
every believer, you have the name of Jesus. You have authority, but you have to use the authority that you've been given, right? And I want to encourage you, start looking for a spot, looking for somebody to lay your hands on and pray for, right? When the devil shows up, you bind him and you throw him out in Jesus' name, right? Uh, it, it, somebody says, ooh, I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. Right? The Bible says resist him, he'll flee. Literally, this is what it means. Run in stark terror. Now, if the devil's afraid of you, why are you afraid of him? You have authority. You are in Christ. And Jesus said, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. All right, would you bow your heads for just a moment? In a group of this size, there's always people in, in every kind of spiritual condition. There's people you've lived for God for decades. And there's people that are here right now. And if I said, are you a Christian? Are you going to heaven? This is what you would say. I hope so. I hope so. I'm trying to be a Christian. I'm trying to do well. Listen, the Bible says we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. See, we are not supposed to die and find out if we make it to heaven. We're supposed to know that we're forgiven, right with God, and on our way to heaven. And when we don't know that, we're not where we should be with God. So if that's you and you say, I'm just not sure, I want you to listen. The Bible says this in, in John chapter 1, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. You know, it's not enough to just believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again that he's coming again, but you need to receive him. You need to give him all of your heart, all of your life and live for him. You need to say, God, I am turning my back on my old life. It's called repentance. And I'm going to live for Jesus. Now, if you will do that, the Bible says to as many as receive him to them, he gives the right to be the children of God. Jesus called it being born again, giving him all of your heart and all of your life and turning your back on your old life, stop living to please yourself. So we're gonna pray a prayer together. The Bible says, whosoever, that's you, will call on the name of the Lord. That's what we're gonna do the way the Bible shows us to. And this is God's promise, will be saved. If you pray this from your heart, you're gonna be right with God. So I'm gonna ask everybody, take one hand, put it over your heart. If you're online, one hand over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray this together. Make these words your own. Say it out loud, say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sin. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I turn my back on my old life. I'm not living for myself any longer. I'm going to live for Jesus, my Lord and my King. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. My past is gone, and I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. 
For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.